Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here. To all of you watching and listening online, Port Perry, Boneville, around the world, again, we are so glad you're with us. Welcome to week three in our Spiritual Gifts series. Two weeks ago, if you were with us, we began to build our needed foundation before actually getting to the gifts themselves. We began to wrestle through the idea that not all the gifts that we have are spiritual in nature, and also we began to wrestle down the idea that God is the one who sovereignly assigns what spiritual gifts we get in the first place. Last week, we began to see our deep need for humility and the profound need for character, 1 Corinthians 13 love to back up and support and affirm the gifts. But today, finally, we're going to begin to start diving into gifts. Specifically today, we're going to be looking at what we call the love gifts. Now, before we get going and exploring those four gifts, let me continue to undo some wrong perceptions and deal with some, some questions. First, every single church on earth needs all the spiritual gifts if they're going to be effective. If you don't have them all functioning in your church, you will become a lopsided church and you'll overemphasize one part and you'll actually won't accomplish what the Spirit of God wants to do in other parts. Now, we've defined the 21 plus spiritual gifts into love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Those categories were designed by Bobby Clinton years ago. And this is how he just defines each group. Love gifts manifest the love of God in very practical ways. God's love is tangibly experienced. Power gifts demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God. In other words, when these gifts are used, you know God is literally in the room in the moment. Word gifts clarify the nature and the actions and the purposes of God. In other words, you know who God is, what he's about, and what his will is when these gifts are used. So here's another question to wrestle down. Why do some of the gifts feel so much more supernatural than the other gifts? Should we actually say some of the spiritual gifts actually aren't supernatural at all? No, that violates a Christian worldview. Our movement has never bought into the deal that there is a natural and supernatural world the spiritual and unspiritual split. For us, the sacred and the secular does not exist. We have a, what we call an integrated worldview. Think about it. Jesus was fully God and yet fully human. Or think about the Bible, for example. It is the very written word of God, fully divine yet written by humans using personality, history, ethnicity, and level of education. When Jesus comes back, he is not going to establish the new heavens. He's going to establish the new heavens and what? the new earth, not just the heavens. So this idea that the natural's over here and the supernatural over here, no, no, they together are capital R reality. So the same with every single spiritual gift mentioned in scripture. Every one of them is from the Holy Spirit, needs the Holy Spirit to function, is supernaturally empowered, is supernaturally powerful, but they take on a different emphasis. Now you might be asking, John, why are you bringing all of this up? And the answer is simple. It's called church unity. See, sometimes many people with gifts that don't feel overtly supernatural, the woo-woo gifts, they feel like they're in economy and the rest of us are up somewhere else like in first class. Maybe we don't know Jesus like those people. Maybe we're lesser Christians than those people, the people with the weird gifts that seem to hear from God. Also, many start to tend thinking that those people with weird power gifts, they just think they're more spiritual than us, and so I don't want to hang out with them. 
The reverse also can be true. Those with the more spiritual-looking gifts can start thinking, no, we are better, and we do know Jesus is, is more with us than you, and what's wrong with the rest of you? Also, in the reverse, again, people with power gifts or word gifts sometimes feel judged because they're just using their gifts, but they're accused of having attitudes or views that are not wrong or that are not true. So it becomes a no-win situation that actually becomes a cycle of disunity. But if we decide as a local church to get okay with all the gifts, realize they look different, if we'd all stop presuming what others are thinking when they're using our gifts, then our unity will be built. But let me say this again. If you've done church for a while, you'll realize, this is just true, that local churches tend to emphasize one or two of the groups and avoid the third one or say it doesn't exist. And the people in the third group, whatever group it is, feel disconnected in that church, don't know what to do, so end up not serving in the church or going to a church that does use those gifts, but then they have the same problem because other gifts aren't used there. Uh, think about it like this. There are many churches that are all about love. They're hospitable, they're kind, and they start even getting involved in social justice. But here's the problem with that. If you don't have the other groups of gifts, there's no truth, there's no preaching, there's no discernment, everything's grace, no correction, and so you are being loving, but you actually are believing heresy at the same time, which is devastating. Or maybe you've gone to a church where it's all truth, capital T, all the time, but there's no love. You don't even know if God's in the room ever. There's no encounter. It's no encounter. It's just cold truth. You know everything that's right to believe. You just aren't loving, and you don't even believe God's involved at all. And then there's the other churches, which some of you have come from, all the power, you know, the angels and tongues and visions and fire tunnels, but you're like, but where's the discernment? And where's the truth? And is anyone preaching anymore? And how do I even know what's happening in front of me is from what spirit? In 2011, we made a fundamental decision in this church that we were going to keep struggling to have all three groups stay in one house, in one family, in one church. This is God's plan. This is God's understanding. This is how he's designed the church. It is hard to keep all the kids playing together in the sandbox, but we decided we were going to do it because it is the only way a church will experience ongoing renewal. Can you say amen, by the way, to that this morning? Uh, question three or four, it would seem that a lot of the spiritual gifts, John, are actually things we're all just called to do. So what's up with that? I mean, shepherding, we're all supposed to care for each other. Evangelism, we're all supposed to talk about Jesus to people who don't know him. Faith, yeah, we're all supposed to believe. Discernment, well, we're all called to know what's right and wrong. Healing, we're all called to pray for sick people when they're sick. Giving, I hear we're all called to give. Mercy, I suppose I need to be nice. I'm a Christian. So how do I know the difference between a gift and whatever that is? And if you're taking notes for Connect Group, you need to write this down. Everything that is not a spiritual gift in your life becomes a spiritual discipline. Everything that is not a spiritual gift in your life becomes a spiritual discipline. But when it is a spiritual gift in your life from the Spirit, there is an ease to it that others do not have around you. There is a frequency. There is a power. There are greater results. You naturally just end up doing it, and others don't. There is more joy, more worship. You feel that Jesus is closer in the moment. It is a supernatural sweet spot, sweet spot for you, and when you interact with other Christians, they don't know what you're talking about. Now, today, we're going to look at the first four gifts. All of them make up what we call the love gift section. And love gifts are key to a church feeling right and functioning right, and they let the church know that God actually is love. But love gifts are secondary in the sense that they are all about supporting and building up what God has established through the leadership of a local church. This is not about value. 
This is about role. It's second chair leadership. This is what we learned last week in 1 Corinthians 12 too. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem, keyword, seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now the four gifts that connect to this category are administration, also called guidance, helps, mercy, and giving. Let's start with uh, the first one. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helps, and then there's the phrase of guidance. That can also be translated administration. Now, it is important not to misunderstand administration, and in church circles, this has caused great pain and disunity. Administration is not primarily a leadership gift. Some people might have the gift of leadership and administration, but this gift is not about leading. Many people that have this gift think it's about leadership, try taking control or leading, and they end up destroying the thing God's trying to do because they have missed their place. Notice in the passage above, administration is placed alongside supportive gifts, not the word or ruling gifts. The ruling gift is about leadership, vision, inspiration. This is about backing up that. This gift has to come under the global mission of every church and must submit itself and support the local Jesus-given vision. If you have the gift of administration and you don't support what God has given through the gift of leadership, you will always perpetually stand up and be frustrated and actually even try to take power when you shouldn't. The where is never your call if you have this gift. It's the how. In other translations, this is called the gift of guidance or wise counsel to the community. Now, more importantly, in the original Greek, when Paul wrote this out, he uses a nautical term to describe administration. It's the word helmsman. And a helmsman was a person that worked on a ship. And here's how one person articulates this. The helmsman stands between the owner of the ship and the crew. The owner of the ship makes the decision of what is the purpose of the voyage, where is the ship going to go, and what are we going to do after we get there. But the helmsman builds the plan to get you from A to B. Here's how one defined this gift. He said, the gift of administration involves a capacity to manage details of service functions so as to support, and notice the phrase, and free those in leadership to prioritize their efforts. In other words, administration is all about freeing up others so they can vision, pray, preach, and do other things in the community. Now, here's a few telltale signs that we and others, including other authors, have found over the years that might help you identify if this is a supernatural gift you have. You have an effortless, that's a key word, effortless skill for organizing tasks and people. You like to streamline and clarify the steps required to accomplish more complex tasks. You think about more than work. You imagine ways to help others reach their goals. You have a concern for the good of a whole group, and when you're in charge of that group, you don't tend to gravitate to the top leadership role. You're at your best uh, meeting not only the needs of a group, but also meeting the needs of leaders. You like to do things that help other people and don't mind managing things or carrying out details that need to be dealt with. Now, one of the best pictures in the New Testament of the gift of, uh, of administration is when the church experienced one of its first big out fights. And in the middle of this fight, deacons were invented. Now, deacons and elders are offices, positions. They're not gifts. But in the middle of this, we see the gift of administration come out. This is found in Acts 6. In those days when the number of disciples was being increased, 
The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together so the whole church had their first congregational meeting, Lord have mercy, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Oh, oh, brothers and sisters, choose from among you seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We're going to turn this responsibility over to them, and we're going to give our attention to prayer and to preaching. Now notice again, the apostles instruct the disciples to identify those full of the Holy Spirit, character, and wisdom to coordinate this massive issue that's taking place. Now they recognize certain needs are not yet being met, but they themselves refuse to do it because they already have a task. They're called to pray, and in this case, preach. So people with the gift of administration allow others to pray, allow others to preach, allow others to give vision. And when others are doing it, you know you have the supernatural gift of administration when you are celebrating in your core that they're succeeding because of your planning. Your Gantt chart and all of your sticky notes lead to the freedom of someone else. Is this you? Oh, someone, yes, all right, yes. All right, this is going to get going. Remember, if you have a passion for this work done in Jesus' name, then it's a good chance this can be a spiritual gift. Now, some of you are like, John, I'm good at administration, but I don't experience Jesus, and it ain't worship. It's just a job. No problem. That's learned or, or, or that's natural. You still can use it for the kingdom, but you know it's a supernatural gift when Jesus keeps showing up in the room when you're building a Gantt chart. Then you're like, mm, Jesus is in the room. Let's go. Now, the second version of this, this love gift, is called helps or, or serving. Now, this gift is mentioned not once, not twice, but three times in the gift text. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it's just called helping. In 1 Peter 4, 10, it reads like this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. Don't forget that. Romans 12, 7, if it's serving, then serve. Now, this gift is mainly about aiding others in incredibly simple and practical ways. It offers effective service to people in need. It takes on commonplace tasks cheerfully, regularly, and worshipfully. You'll know again if that, that's you. Much of the time, this gift of helps is one-on-one, -on -one, and a large amount of people in the local church will have this gift. Here's how another person defined this. The gift of helps refers to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical service. So people with this gift find joy in doing simple and messy tasks that everyone else just doesn't want to do. They're almost like the foot washers of the movement. The actual work done by the gift of helps is often overlooked precisely because it allows others to accomplish with their gifts the more obvious tasks. The gift of helps is instrumental in liberating and encouraging others to fulfill and engage in their gifts. But more importantly, it demonstrates the love of God on a regular basis in very practical ways. Here's some clues that maybe you have this gift written by Robert Clinton, ourselves, and others. If you realize you have an urge to help others, and you seem to notice without ever being told ways you can always assist others, you probably have this gift. If you don't mind taking on, uh, taking on behind the scene tasks outside of the spotlight, and actually you enjoy doing what others have been avoiding or running from, you probably have the gift of helps. This gift does small things without expecting actually any credit. 
The work is done for the simple joy of using a talent, ability, or skill to help others within the church. Now, let me just camp on that. Uh, Ability, talent, or skill. What's beautiful is the gift of help sits underneath like the foundation of lots of natural and acquired things and uses it to help. But the impetus is supernatural. You have a deep enjoyment that comes from seeing how your efforts on behalf of others enables and encourages them or the church to get on with its mission or the the gifts and others to be used. Another version, by the way, of helps is hospitality. You know you have the gift of hospitality when you just cannot wait for your connect group to come over. You cannot wait to open the door, serve them food, and hang out. You're just like, yes, this is an incredible thing. Just come in. Three o'clock in the morning, mm, doesn't matter. Just come on in. That's the difference between discipline and gift. Again, Scripture calls those with help, notice, to do this, though, in the power of God. Spending yourself and helping people and serving outside of God's continuing empowerment will let you and leave you feeling used and bitter because you stop helping in the name of God and for God. Don't forget, if you have this gift today, this is crucial. God has called you to serve others so they can be set free to use their gifts. And sometimes you're like, but John, no one notices me. Well, just remember something, and this is important. God himself is watching you. And God will reward you for your obedience. And when you exercise this gift in the power of the Holy Spirit in small or what people would consider insignificant ways, remember, God will give you joy. Let me give you an example of helps. In all of our sites, there are people that show up to brew coffee. Thank you, God, for those people in our church, right? All right. Now, here's the thing. I regularly take time to step out of my way to thank people, for example, in our community who brew coffee. Most of us don't see them. And and I just walk in and say, you know, I just want to thank you so much for serving at Today. Now, I know the person has a gift when they go, oh my goodness, John, no problem. I just, I love doing it. I know someone is not in the gift when they go, yeah, I'll give you your coffee. See, that's, whoop, there it is, right there. There is a discipline, I'm doing this because I must. There is a joy, Jesus, this is incredible. Let me give you another example with hospitality. So uh, my wife, we've been married uh, since the year 2000, and, and my wife is a lovely, awesome woman, and, and my wife obviously is a pastor's wife. And in traditional churches, which we're not, there would be an expectation for the pastor's wife, of course, to be very, what, hospitable and open up the home all the time. Well, it's a three-for-one special with my wife because she's a pastor's wife, and she's a trained chef, and she does interior design, so it's like a triple threat. Like, she's everything everyone wants. Here's the thing. My wife doesn't want you in our house. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we love you. If you come over, we, we, we will allow you in, and then we'll remove you very quickly. Yeah. Now, it's not because she's not loving and kind. She's awesome. But understand, just because she has this connection to me or because she has this training, it's not, she doesn't experience profound spiritual joy when people invade the house in Jesus' name. But some of you do. And I asked actually our accountant on staff to write her story out. Her name's Lindsay, and she's, she's probably watching right now at Bowmanville. She says, before I became a Christian, I used to have a poster on my wall here at work of Grumpy Cat. You all know Grumpy Cat? And this is what it said in the poster. I don't like morning people or mornings or people. 
Okay. And then this amazing thing happened. Lindsay became a Christian through Alpha. Radical change in her life, which is awesome, right? And she became the hospitality leader in Bowmanville. She was walking along in the hallway onto a meeting, and she was told that she needed to be the leader and to step in that role. And here's what she wrote. Never once have I regretted this move. I look forward to serving every single Sunday. My tank is filled when I leave the church. Never again can I claim not to like people anymore. I love them. Now, what is that? Because she used to be grumpy cat, and she's a gift of the Spirit. Do you see the difference between a discipline and a gift? So you got the gift of guidance, the administrators Gantt chart people in Jesus' name. you got the gift of helps people, and now we come to the cousin of helps, which looks very similar, but actually is profoundly different. It's the gift of mercy. In Romans 12, it says like this, if it is to show mercy, oh, do it cheerfully. Here's how another person describes the gift of mercy. Mercy is a special ability that God gives certain members of the body of Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, Christian or not, who suffer distress, physical, mental, or emotional, and translate, this is critical, and translates that compassion into cheerfully done deeds which reflect Jesus' love and also alleviate the person's suffering. Now, we're all called to be loving. We're Christians. We're all called to be merciful. Jesus said it in Luke 6.36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. But according to Romans 12, some have the spiritual gift of mercy. And notice his charge. If you've got this, do it cheerfully. See, mercy is not a common courtesy. It's not being kind in Canadian in a nice line. It's not tears over an emotional story every once in a while. Mercy is illustrated in the way that you are perpetually moved emotionally and volitionally to be and help the needs of others. The impulse to embrace a sinner or the broken is expressed by mercy. It is the willingness. You're always the one who weeps with those who are weeping. When someone is wrong, so when someone sins or they hurt someone in the family or they do something stupid or broken... You are the first one to stand up and say what you did was wrong, but by the way, no one has the right to say anything and no one has to throw the first stone because we're all messed up too, right? You have an inborn tenderness towards the pain and sadness of others. But the spiritual gift of mercy even goes beyond this. This gift particularly is noticeable in those who used to be profoundly unmerciful before they met Jesus and now they're profoundly different because they have met Jesus. If you have the gift of mercy, this is you. You are drawn to brokenness. You cannot, you love being in the mess that everyone is running away from. You find Jesus is so close when you're around physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual pain. Most human beings want to run from pain. You run at it. You love sitting in the mess of life. People always talk to you about their stuff and you don't know why. When you read the Bible, Jesus' compassion and his mercy and his healing, you're just like, I love these parts of the Bible. One of the greatest examples of this gift is found in Acts 9.36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. In other translations, it reads like this. She was always about mercy deeds. So here's a key question that might be helpful as you evaluate this. How do I know the difference between mercy and helps? And the difference is seen in who receives the help. Helps is about setting others free to use their spiritual gifts and setting a church or a Christian organization free to get on with vision and mission and dealing with the mundane smaller tasks. Mercy is about directly being among, being the presence of Jesus and alleviating the pain right in front of you with a person. So administration, helps, 
and mercy. Now, the last gift that falls under this category is the gift of giving. And Paul wrote in Romans 12, 8, if your gift is giving, then give generously. Now, people with the spiritual gift of giving have a real sensitivity to channel resources to others, and they do it with joy, with right motive, and they're marked by generosity. Now, some of you are like, oh, praise God, I don't have that gift. I don't need to give anymore. Stop. No. Dave preached on this, and this is actually really important we get to this. God is clear about this. No matter who you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, rich, poor, no matter your age or stage, you are called to give. And as you read the Bible from beginning to end, we're called to give at least 10% of our finances to the Lord straight up front. As Dave preached in January, he gets the first, not the last or the middle, the first. And the truth is many of us are not even willing to change our lifestyle or get our financial house in order just to obey the disciplines we've been called into. The common Christian call for radical other-centered giving is a common discipline among all of us. One Old Testament and one New Testament verse, Malachi 3.10, bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there'll be no, not enough room to store it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.7, each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. But here's the thing that we all need to catch. This has nothing to do with the gift of giving. Those with the gift of giving give more and give regularly. They're always thinking about how they can give. And you know, by the way, you have the spiritual gift of giving when you are sad that you cannot give more away. Some of you are like, mm, that's not me. Okay, probably don't have the gift. Most people do not go around saying, how can I give more away in Jesus' name? Most people in the church don't say this, oh God, would you let me make more money so I can actually give more of it away? The cottage isn't even in your head. You just want to give it away. Now notice, Romans 12 says, if you have the gift of giving, you're called to give it generously. Now in the original Greek, the word generously is this really odd phrase, uh, to give without a fold in the cloth. And you're like, that's really strange. I know. What does this mean? And here's what he's getting at. He says, there's, it's like when you look at a cloth and there's a fold, something could be hidden. He says, when you have the gift of giving, do it without ulterior motive. There's, there's a singleness of mind, pretense. If you have the gift of giving, you know this is true. You don't give politically. Well, you know, I'll give an extra 10,000 to C4 as long as, you know, I have this worship leader sing this song because I want it. No, you don't even think about that. You don't, even, you don't even think about tax receipts. Some people are like, really? Oh my goodness. The administrators, is that true? Yes. You don't even think about tax receipts because this is a supernatural thing. You don't think what you can accomplish, who's going to see you when you give, you just love to give to the kingdom of God. The gift of giving, one wrote, it refers to the capacity to give liberally, to meet the needs of others, and yet to do with a purity of motive which senses that giving is simply sharing of what God has given. Here are some identifying traits, again, that you might have the spiritual gift of giving found by us here at C4 and other authors. Do you find yourself earmarking certain amounts because you have a strong sense God is about to move and you want to be part of it? Do you get a great joy out, uh, out of helping someone even though uh, they'll never know who actually gave the help? Do you find yourself holding possessions and resources lightly, always on the lookout for someone who might have a greater need for what you have? Have you ever discovered, this is a critical one, but following the Holy Spirit's prompts about giving is an amazing process how God keeps meeting your own needs. 
These are indicators of someone with a gift of giving. Such a person is frequently prone to carefully, either highly uh, handling finances, might have a bent towards the spiritual discipline of simplicity, but the real heart of it is you just know everything you have is God's. Now, you might not connect with all of these, and you might connect only with some, but if you radically, regularly give above and beyond, you probably have the gift. And by the way, it's never measured on the amount of money in your bank account. Lots of people with the gift of giving are poor in, in those titles. You've got to remember, it's about the joy you find and the liberally giving that marks you. One powerful example comes from the story of Barnabas. Acts 4.34, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, uh, bought the, uh, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone in need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now notice, again, it's a supportive gift that works under the leadership of the community. The gift of giving is unexpected, it's powerful, it's faith-filled, and notice, it's done in, ready, public. Oh, I need to say this again. It's done publicly. Some of you who grew up in church are like, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. Because we need to be secretive about giving. And actually, you know, Jesus said, right, in Matthew 6, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be done in secret. Everyone quotes that verse, but they never quote the context. Jesus is never saying that you cannot give in public. Barnabas was not in sin. His point was if you're giving, if you're getting giving to have a moment where everyone recognizes how profound you are, you're in trouble. That's why he says in the verse before, be careful not to practice your righteous, righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Oh, if you do that, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, that's the context. Actually, when God moves in greater power in a church, more and more giving needs to be done in public, not in private. So A, the community can celebrate, and B, build faith. I love this. Notice, Barnabas's name is used. How much is given is totally in the public record. In 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this story in a country Barnabas did not even know it existed. Here's the point. We need more stories and more testimonies of every kind, including ones around giving. How can people grow and practice the discipline of giving, let alone the gift of giving, if everything's secret and there are no Barnabas mentors among us to tell us how to do it better? This whole idea that money is secret is a Canadian thing. It's not a biblical thing. God owns all our stuff. Let me emphasize this again. Tons of money or mega bank accounts has nothing to do with the gift of giving. Remember, the little boy with Jesus brought what? Some loaves of fish, some, some loaves of bread and some little fish, and he fed thousands. Paul himself, talking about this amazing gift, compliments a whole local church in Macedonia, who, by the way, all were radically impoverished. And it says, in the midst of a very severe trial, this is in 2 Corinthians 8, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for which I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Now we've looked at these four spiritual gifts and all fall in the broad category of love gifts, administration, helps or service, hospitality, mercy, and giving. Every single one of these are powerful spiritual gifts and they allow believers to express their love for God and help others to know that God is love and also allow the church to function incredibly well because every needs to get on with their task also. They are special ways God's spirit equips some of us to do this special work in community. Now, do you find yourself connecting with one or more of these gifts? 
where things becoming clear while I was speaking. Well, here's what we're going to do, and this is really critical. After the service is done today, so after I'm done preaching, after we're going to take communion today, after we're done communion, after the service at the front here and at every site, there are going to be pastors and staff and leaders and elders available. And if you go, I identified with at least one of those gifts. We want you to stay behind for one minute or, or two minutes, and we want you to come forward, and we're going to pray for you. So you say, well, I have the gift of administration or I have the gift of mercy and don't be Canadian about it. I don't really know if I have it. I'm really unsure. I don't, you know, shucks. Stop it. Come forward and let us pray over you because we want to affirm you in community. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to do a greater work in that. We also want to pray that God clarifies it for you and we want you to start using it. See, what we need to start doing as a church is literally saying out loud, not proclaiming it, but just saying like, I'm using the gift of helps right now. This is a supernatural act. We need to start talking and understanding what's happening. So at the end of this service, the host is going to instruct you. We're going to ask every person with administration and also with mercy and helps and, and giving to come forward. And we're, we're going to pray for you and pray for the power of God. And, and if you have none of these gifts, and by the way, I don't have any of the love gifts. I know none of you are shocked um, at all. Um, that's okay because the goal is by the end of the series, every Christian within C4 will be prayed over for at least one of the gifts that God has given. Make sense? So if you wouldn't mind standing with me right now, and let's just take a moment to pray over this, what we've heard so far. Number one, thank you, God, that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit binds us together in and among us. He connects all of C4 together, but actually the Holy Spirit connects all of us to every Christian on earth. And thank you that just like Jesus was our model and used spiritual gifts, you've given us the same spirit and the same gifts. And so we want to pray right now for all the people in our church that have love gifts. And we want to say to Jesus, thank you for all the people with love gifts. Can you say thank you to God out loud right now for that? Thank you, Lord, for them right now. And Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name that greater things would happen with giving and greater things would happen with helps and administration and mercy. Would you grow this more and more? Now, for us who don't have the gift, Lord, help us in our disciplines. <laughs> Give us the ability to walk and obey, even though it's not natural to us. But those who are natural, may you empower them. For those who have felt used or unappreciated, Lord, we pray you'd heal them. For those who maybe in these gifts haven't said no sometimes when they needed to, heal them. But Lord, we just pray that in this season where we're walking and asking for a new power of the Holy Spirit, that you would do this amazing thing among us. And we pray this now in the name of God the Father and God the Son who sent the Holy Spirit. Uh, amen. We're going to end this part of our service with communion. And I thought, what a great transition, because communion is the great sacramental symbol, the, the ordinance of what? The love of God. And so if you're a Christian here today, you're welcome to any of these tables up top or here. Jesus, just before he died, was with his closest friends at a Passover meal, and he took some bread and he broke it and said, my body's about to be broken for you. This is a new agreement. He took a cup of wine and said, my blood's about to be spilled. I'm doing this because you're going to receive the forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian, you're welcome. If you're not a Christian, please don't take this yet because you've not embraced the one it represents. Uh, if you've had a great week, a terrible week, or an in-between week, you're welcome. The Bible says we're supposed to confess our sins before we come, so you should stop and say, Holy Spirit, where have I sinned? But the Bible also says if you're a Christian here today and you refuse to repent, you know something God has commanded you to do in the scriptures and you will not do it, do not take this. You drink judgment on yourself. He says, wait until you come back to the love of God. 
I want to remind you too, as we get ready to come forward, that as we teach in this church, Jesus is not in the juice or the bread, but Jesus is at these tables, right? This is a guaranteed place of encounter. Where two or three Christians gather what? Jesus is present. Uh, Jesus eats with sinners still today. Jesus' mercies are new every morning. And so when you come forward, I want you to remind yourself that Jesus is at these tables and he's coming to meet with us. So we're gonna take communion. We're gonna celebrate the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and his coming back. We're gonna sing and then we're gonna come forward for prayer. So Lord, would you bless these elements? Would you meet us at these tables? As people come forward, would you encounter them? And may you continue to work out the love of God and the power of God in this community. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.